What's up, everybody? This is Lucy Baptiste with Protest Coverage. Welcome back to the Protest Coverage Podcast. Shavana and Hawk Newsom, Part 2. If you missed Part 1, we covered Black Lives Matter, Greater New York's history and mission, why it's useful to appear on Fox News, Hawk and Shavana's thoughts on reforming and defunding the NYPD, and much more. Today in Part 2, we'll discuss Black Lives Matter, Greater New York's relationship with Black Lives Matter Global and the tensions among organizers, how Hawk and Shavana gained the trust and support of their community, and lastly, legislative reforms they plan to pursue like repealing qualified immunity. All that and more right now on A Newsom's Part 2. I just want to jump back a second. Hulk, you had mentioned that with BLM NYC, there was still a void, and it's a void that you've come in and filled. Mm -hmm. I did notice in in our research that BLM NYC is an official chapter of the BLM organization. What is the affiliation with the BLM org, if any? There there isn't one. It's contentious. Activism, black activism, there's always division. There's always nitpicking. There's divisiveness. I'm guilty of it myself. I know one of the um, biggest problems when we emerged was that I was the leader, right? So we took a vote, Shivana, Mario, a few of us. And a young black woman was elected president. Uh, Within the last two years, Shivana, who's always been behind the scenes, just being an administrator and making sure everything gets done and the glue that held everything together, she stepped out into the forefront. So for a bit, we had two of the strongest black women voices in the country leading our organization. And, um, you know, I don't know. They, they denounce us. They denounce us often. But the bottom line is America sees our work, right? America, the hood. We, we dropped down the blocks in the Bronx and Harlem with two trucks, with BLM posters on the trucks. Fuck the police, posters on the trucks. People go crazy. They run out in the street. They jump on the claws. The only thing I can liken what happened down the block from where we are right now to is when we marched in the Pride Parade and it was deafening applause. That's what Black Lives Matter Greater New York gets in the streets, okay? Because they know us, they know our work, they know on Christmas that we're not sitting in a, in a gym giving out toys, one toy to every kid, that we're adopting 10 families with numerous kids and bringing in bikes and tablets and iPads. They know that during the People's Food Program, we were giving out food to 150 doors, right? Every day. We was always out serving our community. So, and it's been like this for years. Last year, Black Lives Matter, right? Black Lives have always mattered. Why is it last year, only three of us were on the highway shutting it down? Black Lives Matter created New York. Later, seven of us were on the highway for Eric Garner, 
because people weren't talking about the case nationally that the cop was on trial in the interdepartmental trial. So we shut down the FDR at 8 o'clock in the morning. Breaking news across the country. Statute of limitations about to run out. We bought a bus. We rented a bus and took it to the Department of Justice. Why? Because the Department of Justice was going to let the statute of limitation expire. We had a hope that they would do something, but it was a glimmer of hope. But what we weren't going to let them do was let the statute of limitations expire without them addressing that family. Oh no, you're going to say not something, whether it's yes or no, you're not ducking a bullet in the press, you're not, no, you're going to talk about this. We went there, the work is real. Mario, my brother whose house we in right now is opening a school in two weeks. Tell me how many activist organizations, Black Lives Matter or not, one of their core members is opening a school. Somebody who was in fucking Charlottesville getting pepper sprayed, putting his hands on white supremacists alongside the rest of us while other people is fucking selling books at Afro Pump. The people who judge me like Black Lives Matter NYC was at fucking Afro Pump selling books. I'm putting my hands on fucking white supremacists breaking noses. Cracking heads in Charlottesville. Come on. Come on. You want to challenge me? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, bottom line is, Black Lives Matter, Greater New York, we do the work. We black as fuck. And we are very strategic. And we are woman-led, as you can tell by this powerhouse sitting next to me. <laughs> um, yeah, and I have comments on that as well, because I, I wanted it to be concise. Because I feel like Hawk has run down our resume of the amazing members who make up this organization. But what people need to know, because like I'm a finance girl, what numbers are. At the height of Black Lives Matter Globals, at their very height, they had about somewhere near 40 chapters. As of right now, they have 16 chapters. So we can see the failing decline in their leadership. And that was the reason why we started Black Lives Matter Greater New York. We needed an organization that was unapologetically black in the fight for liberation. We needed someone who was unafraid to take a nightstick, who to, to take nerve damage, to take being constantly surveilled and being harassed by the most, the biggest gang in the whole world, the NYPD, and their method and their tools to black liberation is about beautiful color schemes on social media. It's about the arts, in, in which I love the arts. We have people called artivists, uh, people who shoot just like you guys do, but it needs to be all encompassing. You cannot achieve freedom by creating a play on Broadway. And, I mean, I, I, I give credit to them. Yeah. And you know, there's definitely a lane for the art. There's definitely a lane for the art. There's a lane for what everybody does, mm -hmm. but don't challenge me, right? Uh, come on, don't don't challenge our work. Like like Black Lives Matter is not an organization. It's a movement. Black Lives Matter is a movement. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna single us out out of everybody to say you're not like it's real whack. And, it, it, and it's crabs in a barrel. Since yeah. we're having this long open dialogue, <clears throat> it's the reason and yeah, I, I know I'm gonna to get attacked for saying this. It's the reason why we don't have liberation. Those Willie Lynch letters, that colorism, that making us hate each other is genius white supremacy. So every time we make a segue, whenever we take a giant leap in the fight for liberation to have our own people attack us, it's disheartening. 
Instead, people would rather be angry with their colleagues because we share this space. Let's be real. Even though we can tilt resumes against each other, when people attack other activists, like who is your enemy? Is white supremacy your enemy? Is poverty your enemy? That's the true enemy. And it's disgusting that every single time there's a Vice News article or a CNN piece, we have a press statement from people who receive money, blood money, denouncing us. You know what? It, I don't need, we don't need that type of approval. So I actually hold my head a little bit higher every time George Soros cronies denounce us. It lets me know I'm fighting for the people. And let's keep it a buck. Let's keep it 100. Like, half of the work we do, we don't even post on our Insta Instagram. But I guarantee you, if you look at our Instagram over the last five years and compare it to other organizations' Instagram, you'll see who does the work, bro. And that's only half of it. Like, that's only half of it. In three days, we're giving away a 1,000 bookbacks for the second year in a row, right? The way I met Mario was we were protesting for Deborah Dana. And let me tell you something about Deborah Dana. Black, schizophrenic, 66-year-old woman who was shot to death. We forced the DA to press charges. Why? Because we stood in front of the Bronx District Attorney's Office for two months. In the winter. In the winter. <laughs> seven degrees. Sometimes it was one of us. Sometimes it was two of us. Sometimes it was five of us. I used to work there out of college. People think like, oh, you're just talking. No. I used to work for the prosecutor's office before I went to law school. I understand this fucking bitch of a system from the top to the bottom. People walking in to work, bringing me coffee. The cops who are, who are on our detail are looking at like, what the hell? What's going on? And they're whispering my ear, Hawk, keep going. And then when they, when they indicted the first cop to be indicted in the Bronx in 20 years for murder, they used the exact wording that we used every day in front of that courthouse. And when that pig went to trial, nobody showed up. Nobody showed up. Black Lives Matter New York held a rally at lunchtime and in the morning, every morning, no other activist groups showed up. There might have been one person one day and one person another day. We sat there with that family every day. What was it, Valentine's Day or some holiday? We bought her sister, the closest relative, Flowers, like, fuck out of here. Like, I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't want to hear any of it. Because I, I got two lawsuits against the NYPD right now. I got nerve damage in my spine. I can't feel on the top of my thumbs from the NYPD. Okay? From fighting, from getting it on with cops. And people want to challenge our loyalty. While motherfuckers were sitting at home the last five years, we was putting our lives on the line repeatedly. While people were writing think pieces, we outside thinking about how we gonna outside the, how we gonna outsmart the cops, like, and get us some justice. It's, this is this isn't ego. This shit is straight facts. Straight facts that you can confirm anywhere, and it, it's just annoying because you know when the you know when people denounce us. You know when people denounce us? Whenever something we do goes viral. Whenever something we do goes viral, it's like, they're not part of us. Like, really? Like, like really? Come on, man. And just for clarity for the audience, um, Tom and I have been on the ground for 84 days, I believe it is now, uh, for NYC protest coverage. 
And at no point during that time have we encountered anyone from BLM NYC. Everyone that we've encountered that is either organizing a demonstration, demonstrating themselves, or looking to get involved, looks to BLM Greater NY. And that's from Warriors in the Garden, to Abolition Park, on down, just so that the audience understands that this is, these are, this is verifiable. The two of you and your organization in particular has more visibility and serves as almost like a mother, father, auntie, Little. uncle of all the various groups <laughs> that, that fall under the Black Lives Matter movement that's been you know, marching in the streets for nearly 90 days now. Um, and on that topic, DREC specifically, at, on behalf of Warriors of the Garden, called for unity, as a lot of folks have been calling for for some time. And he called for a New York Action Coalition. Obviously, everyone's behind that idea. How do you two and your organization, how do you help facilitate that while also allowing smaller groups that do teach-ins and groups of three or four individuals that are in their early 20s that had never been activists before, but they've been out there for three months every day. How do you bring them into your tent? Well, I think it is a time for unification because we are so cliche, but we're stronger together. And what we have been doing is people call with a lot of troubling things from videos to they've been victimized by the police or last night oh, a gentleman a teacher was arrested and in the process he told his wife to close the car door and she's eight months pregnant and she was slammed on her belly last night by uh, the NYPD so we're waiting for word on the family on how all that's going and just setting up for that but with disclosing that ugly and it, it ties into this coalition building is for this to truly work, it needs to happen around the world, specifically America. It needs to be a blueprint. So when new people come in and new people who have never organized or people who have been marching for almost 90 days and it's like, what's next? That's our job. Hmm. The people who, it, it's our duty in being a leader is to create new leaders, to give people a blueprint so they don't hit the same walls that we have hit. So they can build a smarter and faster and inclusive way to achieve liberation. So when the NYPD held direct hostage, it came across live. I, I saw the live notification. I saw it on my timeline. So we were there in 15 minutes of it happening. And I just think as any teacher, any faith leader, any person like that, it's our duty to pass on the wisdom that we know. So it doesn't matter how long you've been in activism because a lot of people have been doing things in their community and have not been classifying themselves as activists, but they have been activists for a very long time. They have been bettering society. I think it's our job to just teach them the way, to show them the way and to hear them. Because if we experience when you first get into this and you deal with older leaders, who are ingrained in political systems, who it becomes profitable because activism mm. can become a career. It can become very profitable. It can become TV. It can become taking the wrong money to sell out your community. You can become a puppet or mm. figurehead. I think it's our job to stay true to that and impart wisdom. Instead of seeing a new organization who is has a few members, who is getting a lot of spotlight, because right now the press is on this hardcore, instead of being jealous of them, Instead of discrediting them and saying they don't know, they don't understand, they're new and using ageism or experience against 
convince them, no, here's a better way to write a press conference. Here's a better way to do police outreach, mm -hmm. um, community outreach. Here's a better way to... Um, You're reaching out to police. God, no, never. <laughs> um, here's a better way to fight the cops, actually. That'll be a different episode. Here, here, here's, our, here's our attorneys. Um, but yeah, how to do things in the community. That's our job. How to effectively write policy. And I think that that's our job. I think um, we can show you better than we can tell you. So when we came up with the Black Act, we reached out to different groups. And a lot of the pieces of legislation, I'm not going to say instances in particular, but over the course of the past few months, people have reached out for assistance, right? And we help. My reply is often, send me your PayPal, right? Period. Like, that's it. So that's an important distinction uh, for the both of you uh, and for our audience. Not only are you supporting them with maybe administrative, experiential type situations, you're also helping to fund them. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. yeah. Um, what, it's nothing great. But it definitely is something. You're digging into your own pocket yeah, to, yeah. to I'll, I'll financially support. I'll tell you this. When we were coming up in this, no other organizations gave us money. Like, nobody. Like nobody Shout out to gave PayPal again and to the like, people yeah, like, who would help us buy some like, posters and some real. batteries and bullhorns yeah, um, to grassroots. Yeah, because yeah. now, you know, things are different. People help us out. But like, you know, okay, you need what? We're going to send that to you. Abolition Park, the occupation. We heard dudes were down there acting out of line. So we put together some hard-hitting brothers and sisters and went down there and injected some motherfuckers, right? Laid that down one night and kind of like set a tone for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't make us come out here again, right? Right. So, so this is what it has to be. As far as the younger folks, man... I look at Che, I look at Warriors of the Garden, I look at Breathe, and, and I'll be like, wow. I look at crazy-ass Abolition Park, I'll be like, yes. <laughs> like, I love that spirit. Yeah. And all I want to do is, like, when we go to their protest, when we step on the scene, photographers flock to us, right? Let's be realistic, right? Most people out there for the movement, but let's be real. Getty Images, them images are $500 a watt. Activists, you got somebody who like taking pictures, get their shit up on Getty so you can make some money for your, for your organization, right? So they, so they come, but when we march, we, we talk to people about security, keeping things safe, and we intentionally place ourselves in the back or somewhere out of the way. Um, since this whole thing started, like, we used to have to call press conferences the ways of awareness, on issues. Since George Floyd, we haven't really called many press conferences. Like, if people call us out, we'll show up. But, like, we don't want to take up space. If people need help, we're there. If people need security, we're here for you. So whatever people need, we're, like, literally here for them. What we're coming up with is a, a set of principles that we hope a lot of other activism organizations will adopt, quite similar to the uh, Panthers 10-point program, right? Because if people walk up to any one of us who is marching, and definitely any one of our organization, we should be able to run down what exactly it is that we want. And I think New York needs that. I really think New York really needs something like that. So we'll do that. We're also hosting self-defense classes. 
that we're paying for um, for the activism activist community. Um, we got to keep each other safe. Things are really crazy out here. Um, usually, we move in a very stealth way, right? Our movements are usually kept pretty quiet. I wear body armor more often than not. I just actually I'll have some more coming in for other activists around New York, so they could be vested and protected. Like this is this is this is like this ain't us. This ain't about us. This is about the movement. Now it just happens that we get a bigger platform, but when we get the big platform, we gonna go and say the shit that the people who are not being heard will say. They have voices. It's just they're not being amplified. So um, we're gonna amplify that message. Relative to your blueprint, it's a 15-point blueprint. Can you give us the top three that are imperatives for your organization? Uh, Hawk mentioned the first one earlier, and that was ending the blue wall of silence, making it a felony or even um, a federal crime when officers policify, uh, falsify police documents, ending qualified immunity was really important. It's costing taxpayers a lot of money. It leaves police unaccountable. We already got repealing 50A, but we know with the keeping of police unions and qualified immunity, that won't stop. And I'm just running on it. I feel like I already did three, but housing. Housing mm -hmm. and education. Stop gentrification. Stop, yeah. Word. Because gentrification actually, it destroys our community. It's a trauma that comes along with having a heightened police presence. Um, it rips people out of their homes. Uh, as we see with canceling eviction and canceling rent, right. and about 50% of black people nationwide will not be able to pay their rent once this pandemic is over. Um, we have politicians who take real estate dollars um, and they can set uh, AMI, which is an average median income of a community, just to get reelected. These are all things that we have to fight for. Yeah. And just so people know, because I know a lot of activists and organizers listen, our blueprint is a living and breathing document. Mm -hmm. So if you are listening to this and you feel very strongly that we have not included something important, please reach out. Please help us. Yeah. Come join us in writing more policy because this is about the people. It's not only what Black Lives Matter Greater New York thinks. Of course, we have an organization, we have a structure, we have a system, but it's what black people and all marginalized people need to overcome in America. And to be clear, we negotiated when we just left Minnesota. We went straight to Minnesota, right? And um, the media, CNN, and a bunch of other people tried to not just point out outside agitators as this random group of people, but specifically BLM and Y. So we had to get the fuck up out of there, right? So we just got back from there, did our think tank for the Black Act, and um, in that process, we were negotiating with Governor Cuomo. Like, literally, driving in a truck, making food deliveries for the People's Food Program with Andrew Cuomo on the phone. And it got contentious sometimes. Like, nah, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. He like, oh, Hawk, you don't want people to think you're irrational. Listen, listen, if I'm not pushing, I'm not doing the job of the people. And that's full disclosure. You know what I'm saying? I do, I do not fuck with these people. But if they call me, just know that I'm negotiating for the people. One of those things that he passed in the Save Their Names bill or whatever was the Andrew Kearse Act. 
That's something that we drafted in Mario Banabi's classroom with high school students in the South Bronx. That was part of the governor's executive order. No, I'm getting chills talking about it. That's a blessing from God. Like, this is this is the work. Like, those kids could sit back and be like, yeah, I had a part in that. You know how many times, like, Shavonna's running for Congress, we all over the Bronx. You know how many people came up and was like, oh, my goodness, you went to my kid's school. They're not going to believe I saw you, Shavonna. Can I take a picture with you? That's, like, 200 schools we, we've spoken in across the world in three years. And it's all on some real shit. First thing we say to these little kids, they be like eight, nine years old. <laughs> it's like, what do you call uh, Christopher Columbus? A, a great discoverer. Well, what do you call a person who steals something? A thief? What do you call a person who kills a large amount of people? A mass murderer? What do you call someone who touches children? A pedophile? I said, then why are we calling... Christopher Columbus, a great man. And this is in schools all over. I went to school in Massachusetts, and the police came in and interviewed the teachers when I left. I was in the Berkshires. Like, this shit is real, man. I just think it's a game. Um, can you explain, actually, what the process is like passing something like a repeal of qualified immunity? Because I know, obviously, we've been on the ground with protests, and a lot of protesters will know what on the ground looks like to them, holding signs, chanting, all that. People who are watching you at you know at home might see this kind of stuff on the news or whatever. But I think the behind the scenes process, and you guys mentioned most of the work you do is not even on Instagram or public facing. So I'd really love to be able to have you walk me through a little bit about how would something like qualified immunity, which is still in effect in most states, how would you actually go about getting that repealed in the back end? And what are the role of the of the actual on the ground protests? I created this phrase. It's called those with power get justice. Those without power are left wanting. Now I could tell you about lobbying in Albany. I could tell you about political campaigns that we've ran for years. But the bottom line is when you flex your muscle, you get laws changed, right? We got 35,000 Prisoners, the right to vote. They got a, uh, ex ex offenders were given partial pardons so that they can vote because we sat down with somebody and they were like, Well, what do you want? And I was like, I want seven things. We gave them the demands and they were like, Well, we can do this. Okay. And that was part of the deal. The other part of the deal benefited NYSHA. So we got that part, but the NYSHA part didn't come through, so it all fell apart. And that was just so motherfuckers could stand next to us. Okay? Like, like this wasn't bread for us. This was a, a deal for the people. So, if you really want to change legislation, then you have to start talking about organizing the community. Organize NYSHA. Organize activism like DREC and, and, and Warriors are doing. Organize the people. Go out and teach the people. What we're preparing for this fall is street preaching. Like how Malcolm X used to do. Standing on corners with a bullhorn, giving out information, saying, hey, come to our weekly meeting. We're going back, back. Black Panther back, 
right? You want shit changed, you create awareness, you build a coalition, and you strike. How do you strike? Bill de Blasio is doing something. You show up, boom, protest. Mm -hmm. Fuck up shop, right? Let people know what you're there for. You get some media around it. Now, next year, a big flex is a power play. City council, like half of the people are going to be gone. So, in terms of, because I want your viewers, because we are about blueprints. We are about feeding people information so, so they can harvest, they can grow. How do you get something like that change? Well, since we talked about city council, that is more people need to run for office. And people need to get behind those candidates who run for office. You need people who represent their own communities to go in and speak for those laws. But the best thing that I think can happen, the quickest thing, because like laws take a lot of time when politicians don't have to work. So how do you start a fire under their ass when people on the ground keep showing up with those qualified immunity signs, when they come to Mayor Bill de Blasio's events, when people keep going, when it keeps showing up in the press, when it keeps getting tweeted, Politicians, unfortunately, they're, let's be real. These are not celebrities. I know that we've created this image for them, that we put them on this noble plane. No, they work for you. Hmm. They're tax dollars. If you didn't walk to the Come polls, on. they would not have a job. Their whole existence is dependent upon what you decide to do as an individual, as a voting citizen. This is They work for you. So to light fire under their asses, people have to keep going. People have to continue those multifaceted campaigns, those ones where they're calling their offices, where they're, I love the people who show up on the lawns of politicians, uh, like shut-ins, like abolition park, all these things, it's not going to be one answer. And I just want everyone to know that they have their power and they're not powerless. <coughs> they just have to join the whole coalition, even if it's not said a name, an organization, but when you participate in action, when you campaign and you lobby against a politician, that's how you'll get your law passed. But yeah, some looting and walling out, not condoning or condemning it, it always uh, speeds up the process. Thanks for joining us today. Hawk and Shivana again covered so much. Join us next week for the final installment in part three with the co-founders of Black Lives Matter Greater New York. We'll dive deeper on voting and elections, both nationally and locally. The siblings describe their long history of organizing around elections and highlight the potential impact of electing young organizers to local office. They also reveal a local progressive favorite may not be as supportive of the movement as she seems. Tune in to find out more. You don't want to miss it. As Tom and Kevin have said before, while you've heard me today, protest coverage is a large team. Though you don't hear everyone in this episode, our team is essential to accomplishing our mission of bringing you all the stories on what protest looks, sounds, and feels like. You'll hear from more of our team in the upcoming episodes. Again, thank you all for listening. I'm Lucy Baptiste, and if we don't see you in the streets, We'll see you next week right here on the Protest Coverage Podcast.